The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Well, hey, hey, grace and peace to you. Welcome to the Bible Says What podcast. My name is Paul DeZay, hailing from Columbus, Indiana, and this is... Oh, hey, I'm Pastor John, from hailing from Centerville, Ohio, at Living Hope Church, and just totally pumped to have a great conversation here with you, Pastor Paul, about the Bible. Are we ready to wrestle? Are we ready? I'm ready. To I love that. <laughs> I get my WWF. I'm like elbow you in the face, you know. No, yeah, I, I love. I'm always up for wrestling with the scriptures. I think that's super good. So this is an invitation to all those out there who are listening. To we give you permission to wrestle with the scriptures along with us, two pastors just trying to figure it out as we go along. And today we are going to wrestle with this question. Here we go. Are there errors in the Bible? Hmm. Follow-up follow question. Here we go. If it's got errors or contradictions, then is the whole thing wrong? So the first question is, are there errors in the Bible? And if so, does that, like, do we have to throw out the whole thing? Like the baby what do you think, Pastor John? Is that how that goes? Uh, yeah. I, I, so growing up in the church, uh, I don't know if anybody else is heard this as well, but I, the assumption was, and I feel like the teaching that I got, the assumption was that the Bible was without error, that it was everything, I like it was the inspired, we're going to talk about that word, the inspired word of God, and I, I, I make that assumption, made that assumption, and I still, after, you know, living in my faith now 40, or however many years, 35 of those 40 years, um, believe the Bible is true, but if we nail down and say, are there errors? That, the more I read the Bible on my own, the more I read contradictions and different accounts of different stories. And I guess it can get kind of scary if we encounter those things and don't know what to do with them. Yeah, for sure. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, my wife, uh, who was raised in the church and she had been a Christian all her life, I asked her the question, so what do you do with, deal with the hard parts of the Bible, the contradictions, the, the, the things that just don't make sense? And she said, Paul, you just have to take it by faith, that the Bible is true and perfect just the way that it is. So the whole thing is a matter of faith. At least that's the way I heard it. That's a tough one, you know, because I heard that too, just have faith. And I think it's kind of a loaded statement because for me it could mean two things. Because, you know, at the start of this conversation, I, I do think there's a part of this where we have faith. Like God gave us his word to guide and direct our lives to be the inspiration of his life, the account of the people of God throughout time and history. And we have to have faith that God is in that and through it. So there's, I think it can mean that, but a lot of times I think it was said growing up, to a lot of people, and I've heard it said to a lot of people, and it's done a ton of damage to people's faith journeys. When somebody says, just have faith, it also can mean, just shut up and don't ask questions. You know, doubting is bad, just stop and have faith. I think I think it's kind of a loaded statement because it could mean one or the other of those things. For sure. And you know, doubting would be a great uh, podcast topic, by the way. Is it okay to doubt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're gonna deal with uh, this like churchy word inerrancy, which mainly means without error. 
Uh, and then we're also going to deal with two more I words, uh, inspiration and infallibility. So three words, inerrancy, inspiration, and infallibility. And at the end of the day, hopefully we all have a better understanding about whether or not the Bible has errors and what do we do with about it. We're going to get all educated up in here with some I words. Uh, yeah. you, you, you teach us, man. Teach us. So is the, let's, let's start with inspired. Is the Bible inspired, John? Yeah. I, so I think we need to start first with what is, what does inspired mean? You know, because I'm inspired all the time. I was inspired when I met my wife, felt all those fuzzy, so is the Bible inspired me and I get fuzzy feelings? I, I'm inspired when I hear music sometimes. Uh, out, outside influences. I'm inspired by all kinds of things. What does it mean to be inspired? Maybe we should start more with if the Bible is not inspired. You know, if it wasn't inspired by God, then it's just a, a book, a collection of stories from humans. So it, it matters deeply because obviously as pastors, we've placed our life and purpose of our lives in the truth that we believe this book that I'm holding up that you can't see because this is an audio podcast, <laughs> but that we believe this book that we read every week is more than just a collection of stories, that it's given to us from God. So inspiration matters deeply. So, so there's a whole category, category of music and films and books called inspirational. Is that what we're talking about? Like, this inspires us? Is the Bible inspiring? Or is it something yeah, deeper? It's deeper, I think, right, Paul? It, it, yes, it does inspire us. The Bible should inspire you. But I think this word, in terms of understanding the truth of the Scripture, inspired means given from. I know the, the Latin word, we get, get all educated, but the Latin meaning of inspiration means to breathe in. So when we think about Scripture's inspiration, the words of 2 Timothy 3 uh, come to mind, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in this context, inspiration, although the Bible does make me feel fuzzy and warm sometimes and does inspire me, to be inspired, the inspired word of God means it is breathed by God, given to us. So there is there is divinity in the scriptures that encounters our life and shows us the way to live. So God breathes out the words and the authors breathe them in. And so the Bible is inspired in that way. So it's a deeper way. It's like that God is is giving to us this gift of Scripture, and the authors are being filled with His Spirit to write the words down. But it's not dictation, right? Inspiration does not mean dictation. It means yeah, that's that. A, go ahead. No, so that's a real important question, right? It's it, the question is did. Does inspired mean given to, or does inspired mean like puppeteers? You know, we got the disciples right. with their their dangling wires by their hands writing the letters. It, it kind of begs the question: We want to understand how God inspired the words of the Bible. What does it mean for God to have inspired those words? Yeah. So uh, people like John and Paul and Peter, they were broken individuals, and they received the breath of God. 
the word of God given to them. And in their brokenness, they were involved in the process of writing down the scriptures. So it's this marriage of the divine and humanity. And inspiration doesn't remove the imperfections of the person that is writing. In other words, it's not a dictation. It's not a divine puppeteer. It is a marriage of the sacred and the human. And so, yes, uh, the Bible is inspired, but is not dictated. It's like this, it's dynamic, right? Yes, that, yes. And I think there's even a theory of inspiration that is called that dynamic theory of inspiration, that it was given in this cooperative relationship between God and human authors. You know, so that God plays his role, but also through the Holy Spirit works in the midst of these humans' lives to give us the inspired word of God. The, the only problem with that is, Paul, that it involves humans. <laughs> yeah. what, does that, well, yeah. what does that mean for inspiration? It'd be a lot easier world if God just dictated it, because then we, we would know it's right. But anytime you put humans into the equation, weird stuff starts to happen, I think. Yeah, for sure. But I, th- I find that reassuring because I'm one of those broken individuals, just like Peter and Paul and Mary, right? So uh, I, I love this quote by H. Orton Wiley, good Nazarene dude. He says, uh, this dynamic view maintains that the sacred writers were given extraordinary aid without any interference with their personal characteristics or activities. I like that. It's that, it's that marriage, again, of the sacred and the, the human extraordinary aid without any interference with their personal characteristics or activities. So God didn't force them to change. He just spoke through their lives and their experience. And that's right. what they wrote down. Yeah, For sure. Yeah. Still so, super messy. Uh, it, it, it's very messy. So <laughs> the question is, are there errors in the scripture? And, and, and that's a tough question because when you ask that question without a dynamic viewpoint, then the, the answer to the question is whether or not God is perfect. But with a dynamic viewpoint, and you ask that question, are there errors in the Bible? We can say if there, if there are errors or contradiction, it isn't from God's perspective that there are errors. It's from the broken individual who is writing things down. It's their brokenness that is being um, communicated into the scriptures. Uh, and so it's not God who has an error. Uh, it's us, which, you know, I'm raising my hand right now. I got errors, man. I am right. one in error uh, after another. But it can freak us out, though, because uh, I think you bring up a good point. Let's talk about that for a second, because we, we do oftentimes just make the leap that that's why this is so scary to us, this conversation. And in church world, why people have such hard time. I've had conversations with people because I've kind of, talked about this, you know, in a veiled way in sermons, because I don't want to freak people out too much on Sunday mornings, but but any sort of hint that humans are involved in this interpretation of what God's saying and that they might have been wrong can really screw people up, because they make the leap that if we're saying the Bible's wrong, then God is wrong, you know, or there's errors in the Bible, then God is somehow not perfect. Why do you think we make that jump? Why, why do we have such a hard time with that? That if the Bible's got errors, then God's got errors. Why do we make that link automatically? Well, I think we we have faith in a God who is perfect, right? 
Uh, yeah. We understand that the reason we gather is what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus did this for us. It's grace, right? And so we trust in him, and we know that we can't trust ourselves, and we can't trust the person on our left and right. And so we would rather lean into a perfect God than to, um, to gather with imperfect people and trust in them. So I think it's a matter of trust. It's easy to trust yeah. in God. It's much harder to trust in broken individuals. But that's the beauty of what the church is. It is, again, we are the bride of Christ. It is a marriage of perfection and imperfection. Yeah. And that's what we see in Scripture as well. It's not as easy, though. And I think we're a, we're a culture that dislikes easy. It, it, it would be easier just to say, God is perfect, the Bible's perfect, take it for what it says, and don't ask questions. You know, but, but I've grown to love deeply the authentic when we talk about that wrestling, you know, this authentic journey of with other followers of Christ, you don't have it figured out wrestling through the stories and narratives of people who are real people, not fake controlled people in the scriptures who were going through real stuff. And maybe just like us misheard God sometimes misinterpreted what God was saying. And to navigate through that journey, I think really makes the Bible and faith and God so much more accessible, I think. And, you know, because if God is perfect, the Bible's perfect, and these lives of the people in the Bible are perfect, then it's almost something that's unachievable, you know? And I, I think, I know, we had written down this quote by John Wesley that I think also gives me some encouragement that the Spirit of God not only inspired those who wrote the Bible, but continually inspires and supernaturally assists those that read it with earnest prayer today. You know, so there's this part of inspiration that cooperatively works to write down the scriptures and the stories, but also that God is still cooperating with me and with you and with everyone who reads the Bible to navigate it, navigate its mess and its uncertainties to find hope and peace here today and right now. You know, So that's kind of a cool part of inspiration, too, that it's Absolutely. not just for the writers of the Bibles, it's for me still today and for you still today. Yeah, the inspiration continues, it. right? God is yeah. still breathing. The inspiration continues. Yeah, so let's uh, let's Ooh. move on to those two other I words, inerrant and infallible. And, you know, when I hear those two words, inerrant and infallible, uh, inerrancy and infallibility, I think of them as synonyms, right? They mean the same thing. However, when the church applies them to scriptures, the Bible, these words take on different meanings, which has often been a source of division. So on the one hand, inerrancy means without error, and it's come to refer to scripture as absolutely perfect, not just in regards to doctrine and ethics, but everything it addresses, including history and science and, you know, the uh, Noah's Ark and all of these things that people are divided on. Was there a literal flood? So when people hold this kind of view of scripture, this inerrant view, they spend a lot of energy defending it. I mean, they go and they build, you know, museums and all kinds of stuff to argue, 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 argue <laughs> that the way the Bible conveys things scientifically, historically, it's perfect. And, and so it becomes, <laughs> yeah, without error. It's the authority on all things. 
not just our spiritual life and not just our becoming a truly human being and following the footsteps of Jesus, but it also is a science book, right? And so what do you think of spending all that energy defending the Bible? Well, it's no wonder it's so intensely defended, you know. If, if our whole faith foundation, right, my whole relationship with God and the world and everything God is planning for the world and its people is dependent upon everything in the scriptures to be factually true and without error. And by everything, again, we just reiterate from science to history to dates to, you know, all of these displays of what God is doing and who he is. It, then it, we defend it so intensely because if it's, it, it does have error, then the whole thing falls apart, you know. I, I remember sharing a sermon about the violent uh, depictions of God in the Old Testament. We preached a sermon, and we, we were talking about how the, the Israelites in their, in their culture... They, the only way they, they dealt with enemy was destruction. Like anybody who was outside of their tribe was enemy and was threatening their very existence. So the only way in their culture to deal with enemy was to completely wipe them out. That's just how they worked, escalating violence. And Yahweh entered this picture. We, I think we talked about this on a previous podcast. Yahweh entered the picture and said, I'm going to give you this promised land. And he's starting to do these new things with them. And... For them, the initial jump then was God is giving us this land, so we got to get rid of everybody else in the land, you know. And I kind of posed the question, like, was was God telling them to murder every person in the land? And if we read the Bible as without error, then we have to make the leap that yes, God said that. Or could it have been that the Israelites heard from God through their the lens of their culture, and God's actually in heaven saying, "No, I didn't mean kill everybody." <laughs> Because that's a huge contradiction. In the Old Testament, God says, kill all these people. And then in the New Testament, Jesus says, you know, turn the other cheek to your enemy. Don't, don't hurt them. Love them. Like, love those who, are, who hate you and are against you. Lay down your life for them, even. So these two oppose. I mean, if that's not full of error I don't, or contradiction, I don't know what is. But in a world with, of inerrancy where it can't have any error, we have to just say, again, those fateful words, well, just have faith. You know? Sure. And that's the difference. And I think what we're hitting on here is that there is a difference between inerrancy and infallibility. You know, what, what is something that doesn't have error, but this infallibility thing maybe means absolutely trustworthy, not necessarily so focused on each literal thing being true, 24 literal days, you know, that the flood was over the entire earth. Or is the, the heart of Scripture absolutely trustworthy, which is what infallibility means? Let's talk about that, the, the third I, infallibility. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when we refer to Scripture as an infallible, we're talking about it does not fail us in its effectiveness in regards to its purpose. So let, let's think about it. It is perfect. It is within, without error in the way that it meets its purpose. Remember its purpose? We've talked about this almost every single podcast to point to Jesus, right? And so the Bible is trustworthy. It does not fail us. It's unfailing in its effectiveness with regards to its purpose of pointing to Jesus. And so that uh, is trustworthy and that is true and that is helpful and that is encouraging. Uh, But there might be from time to time 
some discrepancies in it. So how do you, how do you, what do you think of this infallibility when it comes to scripture, John Gibson? Uh, Roger Olson, I always like to quote other people that are smarter than me. <laughs> Roger Olson says that the Bible contains some errors, some discrepancies that do not affect its power to transform lives through faith-filled communion with God that is not important. I think that's such a powerful statement, and we get so caught up in these little details and things that aren't about Jesus or about the redemptive story of God throughout the narrative of Scripture, then we miss the point. So, I mean, we have to always come back to that truth that the whole purpose of Scripture from Genesis to the maps is to point us to the redemptive work of Jesus in our lives, and that everything in the Bible that points us that way and speaks to that purpose is infallible. That, I mean, it is trustworthy, it is true. But there are things in the Bible written thousands of years ago that, that may not be the way the world is today that we see scientifically or historically or all these other things. But w w when it pertains to the relationship with God, the restorative, redemptive relationship with God through Christ, the Bible is trustworthy and true always. I love it. I love it. So let's let's put this all together. So we have this connection between these three eyes. So if inspiration equals the very words of God, then the Bible must be inerrant in all things and is therefore the final authority. If the final incarnation of God to humanity. Now, however, if the inspiration is dynamic, then although scripture may evidence human elements that are not divine, like discrepancies and inconsistencies, it is nevertheless infallible, absolutely trustworthy concerning matters of salvation and perfectly revealing the authority of the Trinity. Boom. <laughs> it's, a, it's such great truth. And I, we hope it sets you free today as you read the scriptures, because this is, can be such a huge hang-up for people. You know, when we don't... Un when we don't understand this reality of dynamic inspiration, when we come to the Bible and think they're, they're the very words of God written down by human puppeteers, then it has to be inerrant, you know? And it has to be the final authority on everything. But this dynamic relationship frees us to see God moving in the lives of imperfect people, pointing us to the infallible and trustworthy end of Jesus and salvation. And it gives us hope even today as we read the scriptures that God, if God could work and give his true and trustworthy final authority on salvation through the imperfect lives of the people in the Bible, then he can still inspire us and use us today to declare to a world that God is still doing that. He's still doing the work of restoration, right? And we're a part of the word of God still communicated through our lives. And that gives me so much hope, you know, that it's, it, God is partnering with me, not just doing his thing and saying, hey, you know, get on or off and I don't care either way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's, again, it's this, it's this marriage of the sacred and the human. It's this fully God and fully human, you know, and, and that's the way scripture is. God breathed. Uh, humans were inspired and they wrote it down within the brokenness. And so it's the marriage of the perfect and the imperfect. And so when we see the inconsistencies, we see this dynamic relationship at work. And infallibility tells us that the purpose of the scriptures 
the pointing to Jesus and the redemption of all things, the renewal of all things, is it's absolutely trustworthy. The scripture communicates it and it helps us participate in the ongoing work of God. You know, the Nazarene Church has a great article of faith on uh, scriptures that says, we believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and the New Testaments given by divine inspiration, inherently revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation, so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. I love that. Inherently revealing the will of God concerning all things necessary to our salvation. It's an Yeah, the Bible talks about a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, it talks about all kinds of stuff. All kinds of cultural things, money, relationships, marriage, you know, tattoos. I mean, you go down the list of history and different cultures and different contexts. The Bible talks about so much stuff, and much of it has deep value to direct and guide our lives. But at the end of the day, the, the stuff of Scripture that should hold our attention as followers of Jesus is what points us to him. And, and all of those other things, although valuable, um, live in the context and cultures when they were written. But everything else, pointing to Christ, and I think that's, for me, that's the, the dividing line and what I hope maybe clears it up for folks. When you, when you open the Bible up, and you, and you face a tough question. You can come back to this statement that whatever you're reading, whatever error you face or contradiction, you're, whatever that's doing inside of you, you can just stop and ask the question, how is this pointing me to Jesus? Now, what, what of this is pointing me to Christ? And a lot of times that takes care of the questions and the problems because the things we get all overclumped about really don't matter a whole lot in the big context of what is God doing through Christ in the redemption of the world? So is the Bible's purpose science? No. No. Is the Bible's the Bible. purpose history? <laughs> no. Does it talk the about Bible's history? Pur- it does. Does it talk about science? Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> in its own context and culture? Yeah, yeah absolutely. in its own context. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Right, but it's but not it the so... final word on science. It's right, the right. final word on redemption. Jesus. Yeah, redemption, yeah. the renewal of all things, and an invitation, just like the authors were invited to participate, you and I and everyone out there are invited to participate in the story of God, in the renewal of all things. And so the story that we read in Scripture is this invitation not only to wrestle, but we're invited to participate, and that's a beautiful thing. So inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility, we end this entire concept with really where we all began right all the way back at episode zero is the purpose of the bible points to jesus amen and the bible is trustworthy when it comes to and he's still inspiring us today to be able to understand it and read it and then that good news i mean our whole podcast is based around this whole the question of what the heck is going on in the bible and how do i figure it out well the good news is today is that god's going to help you you know, he's still inspiring today. He's, His he's spirit still is breathing. still opening. He's still opening your eyes to. So ask him, talk to him. When you're reading Absolutely. the scriptures, when you find something hard, ask him, how, how does this point me to a deeper relationship with you? And, good, and we trust that he'll do it. Amen. 
Amen. Good stuff. So this today. has been another interesting conversation, and we are so glad you took the time to join us on. The Bible says what? We hope it's tickled your brains and stirred your soul. And most of all, connected you more deeply to Jesus. We hope you'll join us for another exciting episode on the Bible Says What podcast as we dig into a topic that's sure to make you go, hmm, as it continues to do in my faith journey. And so next time's question is, what does Jesus say about hell? Is there a literal place of eternal (laughs) torment? Oh my gosh. Yes. We're going to talk about horns and hellfire and brimstone next week. Or next next episode. We can't wait. It's going to be good. Absolutely. So I'm Pastor Paul. And I'm Pastor John. See you next time. Grace and peace. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?